Well, good morning again. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. All right. Today's title of the message is Spotting Misleading Teachers. Spotting Misleading Teachers. Speaking of teachers, a little girl came home from school and said to her mother, Mommy, today in school I was punished for something that I didn't do. And the mother exclaimed, but that's terrible. I'm going to have to talk with your teacher about this. By the way, what was it that you didn't do? Little girl replied, my homework. (laughs) We're back in the book of 1 John today. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 4. The book of 1 John was written between AD 85 and AD 100. It was written to a church, a group of churches that were in crisis due to some false teaching and some false teachers. So, let's pick up there. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out in the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. And by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I give you all the honor and the glory, Lord. I ask that you would use me in spite of myself. We are leaky vessels, Lord. And we ask that you would help us to not just patch the holes, but to make us new, new new jars out of clay, new, new whatever, Lord. Whatever you want us to be, you're the potter. We're the clay. And God, we, as we look around this room, we say there's a lot of people who are missing because of sickness. And it is that time of year, Lord, and we just ask that you would heal them and that you would bring them back to us, Lord, healed and on fire and ready to do your work. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus Jesus, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we invite you here. We ask that you would draw those that are being saved from the north, the south, the east, and the west. And we pray for not only ourselves and not only those that are missing that are a part of our congregation, but to those who you're calling. And Lord, we just ask that you would send them in. In Jesus' mighty name, bless the rest of the time together we have. Amen. First of all, we need to test biblical teachers. And to do that, we need to rely on the Holy Spirit. And there is one question that you should always ask. Is what I am hearing man-centered or God-centered? Is what I'm hearing man-centered or God-centered? First of all, let's look at testing teachers and their messages. 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This section's not talking about some super spiritual event. It's not talking about, oh, you can look at, a, look at spirits now, or demons, or angels. No, it's talking about people, teachers. 
John is calling us to be discerning about the people we listen to, about those that call themselves ministers or teachers of the Word of God. I've got some news for you. There are many people who think they are Christians, but they are not. And there are many people who know they are not Christians. And they go to churches that call themselves churches, and they're not churches. God's Word, folks, is holy. It's precious to the believer. It should be handled with an attitude of reverence and awe. And that's not happening everywhere, even this morning around the country and around the world. It should be studied in the light of its historical and cultural context. Any teacher who says they've been given a, always red flag, special revelation or special knowledge about a topic or a passage, make sure that what they teach isn't heresy. What is heresy? Heresy is anything that's not in the Bible. And a lot of people have claimed that they have this special revelation over the years. And they usually fall into a heresy called Gnosticism. Gnosticism is nothing new. It's been around since the first century. The term Gnostic literally means special knowledge. 2 Peter 1.20 says, Know this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but by holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. 2 John 7 says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. 2 Timothy 4, 3-4 says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. There's a place that calls itself a church that has over 7,000 people today in it, and it is not a church. The person who calls himself the pastor is not a pastor. He is a heretic. He is a false teacher. And a lot of those people who call themselves Christians really aren't saved because he does not teach the gospel according to the Bible. One of the, <clears throat> one of the largest false teachings out there right now in the church as a whole is called the Word of Faith Movement. Now, one of the most awful things that they teach is that God wants for Christians to be healthy and wealthy. That sounds good, doesn't it? But many word faith teachers equate poverty with sin, including a lack of faith. Wealth and health needs to be claimed, they say, because Jesus, through his atoning death, has freed us from the curse of the law, and we are now freed from all disease and all poverty. They twist the scripture to come up with this garbage, mainly from Galatians and and Deuteronomy chapter 28. If this is true, then guess what? Paul was a sinner. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 says this, or And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest Upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, many scholars believe that 
Paul's talking about an illness there because he said infirmities. He says he will boast in his infirmities. I believe personally that it was his eyes. Because if we look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 11, he says, See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. He had an eye problem. But according to the Word of Faith teachers, well, he was a sinner. He didn't have enough faith. You're going to tell me that Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, had a lack of faith. He saw things in the heavenlies, in the spiritual realm that he was not allowed to talk about or write about, but he had a lack of faith. That's what they will say. As far as the prosperity part goes, Paul writes this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let me tell you some truth. The truth is, is that, folks, life is a roller coaster. Sometimes you're going to abound, and sometimes you'll find yourself in some need. Notice I said need, not want. There's a lot of things we want, we think we need, but we really don't need because they're wants. When you are in need, that is, that's when people of the Christian community are supposed to help. James 2.14 tells us, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So we see how important it is to be discerning about who we're listening to, and what they're teaching or preaching. 2 Timothy 2.7 says, Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. In other words, think about it. Hebrews 5.14 says, But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. If you don't know your scriptures, then you can't tell when it's being twisted. You need to know the scriptures. So if you hear a new preacher or an old preacher who's teaching something that doesn't sound quite right, what should we do? What is our response? Well, first of all, we need to remember what James 1.5 says. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Ask God for wisdom. Ask God for wisdom. Remember, we have the ability now through the shed blood of Jesus Christ to come to the throne room of grace where we may obtain mercy. We can ask God for wisdom. And it says he gives to all liberally. In other words, if you ask, he's going to give you a lot of it. Ask God for wisdom. Second, ask your pastor. That's what we're here for. Did you know that? That's what we're here for. 
Ephesians 4.11 tells us, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitfulness. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, which is Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself. In love. Whatever man may teach you, don't just accept their word for it. Don't accept my word for it when I'm up here preaching. Study to show yourself approved, the scripture says, a workman rightly dividing the word of truth. Be like the Bereans. Acts chapter 7, verse 17, verse 10 and 11. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the Scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. The Scriptures are your final authority. We're to search them in their proper context, praying for discernment, praying for wisdom, of what is being taught to us. And that's kind of the problem. We don't do that a whole lot. We just don't. Let me give you a little testimony real quick. When I was a teenager, I came across this great teacher, I thought, and his name was Kenneth Copeland. Now, most of you probably haven't heard of Kenneth Copeland, but Kenneth Copeland is basically the daddy of the Word of Faith movement. He got his stuff from a guy named Kenneth Hagin, And they call him the granddaddy of the Word of Faith movement. And he got a lot of his stuff he ripped off from another author named E.W. Kenyon. And E.W. Kenyon started teaching this garbage in Baptist churches around the turn of the 20th century, a little bit before. And they kicked him out because they said, you're teaching heresy. So he ended up going to other churches. Um, I'm not going to name any names, but he started in Pentecostal circles and started pulling people from there. And then Kenneth Hagin got a hold of some of Kenyon's books and literally plagiarized them and sold it as his own. Then, of course, Kenneth Copeland took it from there and made it a worldwide phenomenon. Today, we've got teachers that teach in that movement, like she's got some good things, but she also teaches the Word of Faith stuff, and that's called Joyce Meyer. We've also got that guy that has that nice smile. Anybody know who that guy is? Joel Osteen. He's a Word of Faith teacher. These are people you need to stay away from. What happened to me was, as I went to seminary, and somebody handed me a book. And it's called The Word Faith Controversy. I still have that book if you'd like to borrow it. And it goes through all of the background of the Word of Faith where Kenyon got his stuff from. And by the way, he got his stuff from cults, the mind science cults of the time, Christian science, things of that nature. And then he took scriptures 
and twisted them to fit those ideologies. Folks, the word faith had its start in a cult. It is cultish. And I, without realizing it, had fallen into it. But praise be to God that somebody said, here, read this book. And I read it. And I didn't stop there because I had given myself wholly to this teaching. I believed I wasn't healed from diabetes because I didn't have enough faith. There was one point I even stopped taking my insulin. It made me sick. And I lived with the guilt, condemnation, and shame of that for years. At least four or five years. Until I did my research. Until I went into the Bible and started studying it in its context. And you know what I found? Let God be God and every man a liar. Number two. Is what I am hearing man-centered or God-centered? Is what I am hearing man-centered or God-centered? 1 John chapter 4, verse 2 and 3. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. The Gnostics, those who thought that they had this special revelation from God, at this time they were teaching a heresy. They would say that Jesus was not 100% man. He was just 100% God. Folks, the scripture teaches us that Jesus had to be 100% man to satisfy our sin debt. And he's 100% God in order to do it. Now, there's a big theological term. It's called the hypostatic union. It just means that Jesus is God and he is man at the same time. But see, that they taught he only looked like a man. They would say that anything that is of the flesh, the material world, is evil. And anything of the spiritual world, well, that's just good. So Jesus, being fully man, well, that puts a monkey wrench into what they're teaching. So what they do? They took it out. Believe it or not, this teaching is alive and well in different forms today in the church. Anywhere where the spiritual realm is regarded far above the physical realm. Mostly today you'll find that in your Word of Faith churches. You see, the God of the Bible created both realms, the physical and the spiritual. And in order to redeem mankind, Jesus had to be a man. One of my favorite apologetics uh, websites, karm.org, uh, they, they put this real succinctly. So I took some of their stuff there. And uh, again, apologetics is the study of God's word using simple logic and reason in order to defend the Christian faith. You see, the sinner cannot fulfill the law because he is sinful in the flesh. Romans 8, 3 says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin. He condemns sin in the flesh. And since the sinner cannot fulfill the law and testify or satisfy God, it follows that only God can do this. 
That is simple logic. If a man, if, if flesh is unable to fulfill the law, then we're going to be punished by it. But since God desires us to be saved, the law must be satisfied. And since we cannot keep the law and it must be satisfied, then only one capable of keeping the law can keep the law, and that is God himself. Jesus is God in the flesh. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1.14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Colossians 2.9 says, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus was also a man under the law. 1 Timothy 2.5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Galatians 4.4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Jesus became sin for us and bore our sins in his body on the cross. And guess what? He fulfilled the law. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 1 Peter 2.24, He who himself bore our sin in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Romans 8, 3 through 4. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Looking at our scripture, our main text today, back at 1 John 4, 3. Let's take a look at that again and we'll move on. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Look at that last part there. John equates false teaching to the spirit of Antichrist. That's what's so insidious about false teachers and their messages. They mix truth with error. And in so doing, they actually give us a different picture of who Christ is, a different gospel. And when we follow it out to its logical conclusion, we can say, hey, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. For example, the message is not the good news of health and wealth. It's the good news of peace between God and man. The wiping away of our sin debt and bringing us into God's kingdom. The salvation of our souls from hell, folks which, if I may say so, is a better gospel than just health and wealth here on earth. The health and wealth gospel makes God out to become some sort of celestial Santa Claus who does our bidding if we manipulate him with our words and do the right formulas to get what you want. Folks, that's a different gospel. There's a man out there named Charles Capps, and he takes a scripture that says, according to your words, so let it be unto you, depending on your translation of the Bible. He takes it and says, everything you say, you're going to get. Okay, so if I say I'm a monkey, does that mean I become a monkey? Well, according to him, everything you say, you're going to get. 
If you speak bad, you get bad. If you speak good, you get good. Folks, that is garbage. Absolute garbage. The pagan religions of the day did the same thing. They'd have their little idols at home, and they would pray to these gods, and they thought if they said the right words, they could get that god to come into their idol, and then they could say the right words and get whatever they wanted. Folks, that teaching has now become a part of the word faith movement. That's sin. That's evil. When Moses said to God, who shall I say sent me? He said, I am that I am. In other words, you're not going to manipulate me. I am God. Paul said in Galatians 1.6, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, then what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you, then what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. God's gospel is God-centered. Man's gospel is always man-centered. That's a good test to know if a message is from God or not. It can be summed up in this way. Does this message call to repentance somewhere? Is what I am hearing centered around God or is what I am hearing making me excited because it appeals to my sinful nature. Is it God-centered or is it man-centered? I can fill this church. I'm telling you right now, I can fill this church. All I got to do is stop preaching the gospel. All I got to do is start preaching the health and wealth. And we could fill this church. But you know what? It wouldn't be a church. It'd be sin. I'm going to go a little bit conservative in my number here, but I personally believe that if we asked these questions, we could spot 90% of false teachers and their teaching in the church today. I fully believe that. Is what we're hearing man-centered or is it God-centered? And lastly, we need to rely on the Holy Spirit. A lot of people love to, to um, be able to look at something and have facts. But let me tell you what happens when a sinner looks at the Scripture and they try to get things right. There's a lot of so-called seminaries today that are no longer seminaries for God, but they teach wrong things. They teach man-centered theology. They change God's Word. And these people have doctorates in theology. What happened? They're not saved. When a sinner looks at the Scriptures, they're going to mix it up. The Bible says the God of this world has blinded their eyes. Only those that are saved can rightly divide the word of truth. And only if we rely 
on the supernatural presence that lives on the inside, which is the Holy Spirit. 1 John 4, 4 says this, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. John reminds us that God will not leave us hanging out to dry. Those who are being saved, the Christians, are of God. And they have overcome them because we've got the Holy Spirit in us, who is greater than he who is in the world. Matthew 7, 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven Give good things to those who ask Him. We can rely on God. Luke eleven eleven records it this way. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? For the believer, you know, sometimes we may get off into left field every so often. It's true. Why? Because that happens a lot of times when we're just starting out in the Scriptures. We are living on milk. But as we grow in grace and as we grow spiritually, we should be moving on to the meat of God's Word. That we wouldn't be tossed back and forth by every wind of doctrine. The Holy Spirit will not allow the believer to remain in left field. He won't. He will use the Scriptures first and foremost in your life, and then He will use others to lead you in the direction you should go. John 3.8 says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born... Of the Spirit. John 14, 16 says, And I will pray the Father, and He will give you another helper, that He may abide with you forever. John 16, 13, However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take of what is Mine and declare it to you. Isaiah 30, 21 says, Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it, whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. So why do so many, so many follow false teachers and preachers? John tells us right here in our main text, chapter 4, verse 5. He says, They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. 
By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. They're the world. What is the world? Well, it's a system of the way of doing things. They lust after the things of the world. And if it requires them to be self-deceived to fulfill that lust, then guess what? They'll do it. Why? Because their minds are set on the things of the world. James 4.2 says, You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly or amiss, depending on your translation, that you may spend it on your pleasures. Now, what's funny is, is James talking to people who are in the church. They call themselves Christian. These people more than likely aren't really saved. But more than likely, they're just deceiving themselves. This is why the Scripture tells us to examine ourselves by the Scriptures. Lamentations 3.40 says, Let us search out and examine our ways and turn back to the Lord. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. Galatians 6.4 says, But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. Now when we look at how many are deceived these days, let's remember what Jesus said about this time. He said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. If you've been a Christian for more than, I don't know, three months, you know life as a Christian is a lot harder I'm not going to lie to you and tell you it's all going to be a bed of roses. Life as a Christian can be difficult. But it is the way which leads to life. And there are a few who find it. Jesus said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruit, you will know them. Now, what fruit or fruits are we talking about here? Is it signs, wonders, miracles, the number of people in our churches? No, because in the last days, there will be false signs and wonders, and there are. And there's also people who dupe others, try to make them think that they're signs and wonders when it's just man being clever. 2 Thessalonians 2.9 says, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders. So signs and wonders are not a good test then, are they? Galatians 5.22, that's the answer. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. i got a little story I want to tell you. A woman is walking through the park when she sees a very attractive man sitting on a park bench. He's reading a book and eating some fruit out of a Tupperware container. Slowly, the woman gathers the courage to go ask the man. So she walks over and takes a seat next to him on the bench, turns to him and says, 
Sorry to bother you. I know this may be a little forward, but I would love to grab a cup of coffee with you sometime. Flatter the man responds, sure, but what makes you so certain you and I would ever get along so well? Well, the woman says, a couple of things, actually. I noticed you're reading Mark Twain. I was a communications major in the university, and I actually wrote my thesis on Mark Twain, how he used satire as a lens to comment on current events of the time, comparing him to satirical news sources of today. He's my favorite author. Now the man's taken aback. He says, well, get out of here. I was an English major in the university as well. I specialized in 19th century American literature. This is like my fourth or fifth reading of Tom Sawyer. I absolutely love Mark Twain. Well, they both can't believe it, and this has got to be a match made in heaven, they think. Okay, the woman says, well, buckle up, because here's the icing on the cake. I noticed you're eating a prune. Prunes are my absolute favorite fruit. When I was a kid, my grandfather lived on a farm. He had an orchard that mainly grew apples and some lemons, but he knew how much my sister and I loved prunes. So he kept a couple of plum trees. Every year at the end of the summer, we'd, we'd go up and harvest the plums with him. He'd dry them, and by the time we'd go back to his place for Thanksgiving, he'd always have those prunes saved just for us. They're my favorite fruit. I love prunes. You're eating a prune. This has got to be fate. What do you say? The man with a weird look on his face puts down his fruit and responds, It's a date. You know, instead of a prune. Some of y'all got that. In conclusion, we should be testing biblical teachers. We should rely on the Holy Spirit. And the one question that we should always ask, no matter the message, is what am I hearing, man-centered or God-centered? Is what I believing, man-centered or God-centered? How do I know what's man-centered? Does it appeal to my fleshly nature? Does it appeal to my fleshly nature or does it call me to repentance? Is what I'm hearing man-centered or God-centered? Miss Joe, let me ask you a question today. Where are you in your spiritual journey? Are you saved? There's a lot of people who go to church and they're not saved. There's a lot of people who serve in the church. Well, be it deacons or, or Sunday school teachers or whatever that aren't saved. Make sure that you know that you know that you're saved. Secondly, have you examined who you're listening to? My quest for you this week is sit down and really examine who you're listening to what you're hearing about the Bible. Never take anything for granted. Always study the Word of God to make sure that it is the Word of God you're hearing. Ask that question. It's what I am hearing, man-centered or God-centered? Does it appeal to my flesh, my sinful nature, or does it appeal to God? Does it call me to repentance? Does it call me to spiritual growth? That's what you've got to ask. If you need prayer or anything, if you'd like to join the church by letter, by statement, by baptism, we'll be up here. You can come on up. Miss Joe.
as we stand and sing the invitation hymn.